March 2005. A passerby spots what turns out to be a leg floating in Dublin's Royal Canal. This murder did lower the bar in terms of how low people think, and it was one of the worst we've ever seen. The Mulhalls were no strangers to difficult circumstances. The kids had a very troubled upbringing. It was a chaotic household. From what we've heard, there was quite uh, a lot of abuse going on, a lot of alcohol and drug abuse. Welcome to Incriminated. Imagine yourself taking a nice leisurely walk in the fresh springtime for yourself along the Royal Canal near Croke Park in Dublin, just minding your own business. Well, it wasn't for this passerby in March 2005. During a relaxing walk, a fisherman was rattled to find a leg floating along the water, a sock still on the foot. This was reported immediately to the Gardaí who then delegated a full-search diving team to see what else they could recover. What they ended up finding even shook the most toughened law enforcement that were present. This was unseen and unheard of in Ireland before. The hunt was on for who dumped and savagely dismembered this victim, Farah Sawale Noor. This is a story of how addiction, abuse and toxic relationships leads to murder. Let's find out who will be incriminated. Farah Sawale Noor was 38 all the way from Kenya. He came into Ireland through being smuggled in December 1996. He was pretending to be a Somalian and he said that his wife and children were killed, so he had to flee from his country. Investigators found out this to be a lie. It is important to take note that Farah was no saint and had many demons of his own. Including an addiction to alcohol and drugs, he received many restraining orders from former partners and sexually abused women, it is widely reported. Nor situated himself in various areas around Dublin, including the city centre. In 2003, he met up with the woman, Kathleen Mulhall, and then began a relationship. This was while Kathleen was still married to her husband at the time, who was also abusing her and had brought Farah into the family home. 
Of course this led to the family being very dysfunctional and this new coupling would be described as fraught, violent and very stormy. In 2003, Nor became involved with Kathleen Mulhall. He was somebody that was really to be avoided. So when he met Kathleen Mulhall, it was in a way a meeting of, of minds. Maybe she was one of the first women that was able for him. Their relationship was always violent between them. Now I will talk you through the Mulhalls. Kathleen was married to John with six children. This was also a volatile relationship. The kids and the family growing up in a low socio-economic background and around drink and drugs a lot of the time. It was also extremely tough to be around this. Linda, one of Kathleen's elder daughters, would even describe how she would gulp down three bottles of vodka in a day. The parents tried their best but could not hold a family together all of them ending up with some sort of criminal offences. Linda had four kids of her own from dysfunctional partners. She was known to be very protective over her children and did try her best, even though she wasn't around for them all the time. Charlotte Mohall was 21 in 2005. She, just like her sister, had a history of drug and alcohol abuse. She also had a number of convictions, including criminal damage and public order offences, and was charged with criminal damage and then given the Probation Act in October 2005. Sisters Linda and Charlotte still kept in contact with their parents despite the marriage breakdown and the troubles surrounding them. Two of the Mulhall sons were already serving short sentences in Wheatfield Prison, theft included in these charges. It was March the 20th, 2005. The two women, Linda and Charlotte, were in the family home in Tala and decided they would like to go into the inner city Dublin to meet up with their mother and her new boyfriend. So they got on a bus and left. When they all met up, they had a plan, and that was to go drinking, along the streets of Dublin. Farah bought lots of vodka, and I mean a lot, for the occasion, and Kathleen got the coke for the mixer. They walked and drinked up along O'Connell Street and then onto the boardwalk. After a while, Linda and Charlotte took a notion of taking ecstasy pills. You would think that their mother Kathleen would reject this idea, but instead, she joined them on this drug trip, so you can imagine the effects it was going to take after a while. Drunk and high, they decided to go back to the flat where Kathleen and Farah were staying at, to take more ecstasy and drink more vodka. The party was only starting for them. Kathleen thought that Farah was in bad humour, so she took out another ecstasy pill and popped one into Farah's drink as well, thinking it would put him in better form, so they could all be, quote, on the same buzz. I don't think he was aware of this at all. As Nor was known to be inappropriate towards women, he was beginning to flirt with the daughters and whispering dirty things into Linda's ear. She was horrified to what she was listening to, what she would later recall as him saying, we are creatures of the night. Charlotte was getting angry and stuck up for her sister. Farah didn't listen and still tried his luck with her, 
Linda's temper was flaring. She then told him to back off, and then an argument ensued. He was enjoying a night out with his partner and the two daughters. He started to come on to Linda. Linda kind of ignored this to begin with, but Charlotte more so kind of got really distressed and asked him, "Get your hands off my sister." He continued to put his arms around her. Linda then said, "Look." Get your hands off me! He basically sidled up beside her on the couch and、uh, said something along the lines, "We are creatures of the night, and you're so like your mammy." And then,、um, then he tried to rape her. Hearing the commotion going on, Kathleen then intervened and tried to break up the fight. Nor then started hitting Kathleen. Fearing for her life, she then turned around to the girls and said, "Kill him! Kill him for me!" Charlotte told how her mother handed her over a Stanley or pocket knife and a hammer. All of a sudden, Charlotte slashed his throat. He stumbled and fell into the bedroom, and he hit his head off one of the beds and was passing out. The women were roaring at each other, so this is where Linda picked up the hammer and began to hit his head. He was still breathing, even though she did. She attacked him, and she was screaming at Linda and screaming at her mother. So Linda then came over with a hammer. She grabbed a hammer, and she started smashing him in the head. It has been said it left hammer marks on the floor. He was hit so hard. Charlotte carried on stabbing Nor as well while this was happening. He died quickly thereafter. His last words were actually Katie. Uh, which was his pet name for Kathleen Mulhall, but by this stage, as he was、uh, muttering those words, he was losing consciousness.、Um, Charlotte was continuing to stab him now with a, a bread knife, and Linda Mulhall was continuing to strike him on the head with a hammer, and he he died within the space of minutes. After reality set in to what they had actually done, in their intoxicated and very drugged-up state, they panicked. So, instead of ringing emergency services, they dragged his body into the bathroom to try and conceal the evidence. They now felt that this was their only option. They were all in the bathroom, still very high and drunk. Then. Started to horrifically dismember the body with anything they could find in the flat. This took several hours, and even neighbors could hear loud noises and noticed a foul smell, but totally oblivious to the situation that was going on. So they didn't do anything. The sisters smashed and dislocated his bones with the hammer, and took his head from his torso, also removing his genitals. He was basically drained from all of his blood. Absolutely horrific scenes. All the blood was all over the bathroom surfaces, and the three women tried to wash and flush it all down the toilet and any sinkhole they could find. Linda removed the head and wrapped it around a kitchen towel. As they were so stuck in their predicament, Kathleen rang her ex-husband John to see would he help clean up. John at first refused and was scared from what he had seen. However, he was eventually persuaded and returned back to the flat and took away what the girls had packed into black bin bags and dumped the murder weapons and such into the River Liffey. The Mulhalls were now worried about what to do with the rest of the remains.
Still severely high, paranoid and panicked, they packed the rest of the body into different sports bags and bin bags. After this, they walked down to the Royal Canal and disposed the rest of the body there, thinking no one would see anything. The girls returned to the flat and attempted to bleach and sanitise the blood they had spilt and everything that was touched in Farah's flat. The guardie will nearly compliment the girls on how well they forensically cleaned the flat that they were nearly not caught at all. There was still one big problem that faced them however and that was what to do with the head. So Charlotte and Linda took it upon themselves to put the head into a backpack and then went on to a city bus. The girls then went to get a breakfast roll to have a casual snack. CCTV showed this, with Linda having the backpack with the head in it, strapped around her shoulder. They walked through the square shopping centre in Talla, Dublin, and arrived at Sean Walsh Memorial Park. An argument began between the two of them over where best to bury the head. Charlotte was on her last nerve over fighting that she just put the head underneath a park bench and buried it with her own hands. She did not make the best effort to hide it however. Linda was getting more and more paranoid that the head would be discovered as it was hidden so badly. As time went on, Linda's mental health was really starting to deteriorate over murdering Nor. Also, she was a few weeks pregnant. Charlotte, Linda and Kathleen planned to go to Hollyhead and go on a drinking session to block out the trauma they had caused and Linda was planning to have an abortion. However, Linda did have a miscarriage before the trip took place so Charlotte and Kathleen went to England without her anyway. The body was discovered in the canal 10 days later. The Royal Canal is a very busy walking area in Dublin and many people seen the body parts floating in the canal. They initially thought it was a mannequin, until finally a man realised it was in fact human. You could see several parts of legs, arms, torso and buttocks floating, which Gardy then recovered after draining the canal. The body was brought in for an autopsy. <laughs> It was revealed that the victim was stabbed over 20 times. There was little in the way for defensive runes, so this could mean that Nor died quickly. The autopsy could not find out anything else other than some clothing he wore. The head and genitals were missing, so no further determination of death could be found. The next major challenge was identifying him. A forensic scientist came into the investigation and took blood and tissue samples from the body to acquire a DNA profile, just in case someone came forward from a missing persons inquiry and they wanted to trace DNA in the future. The body was decomposing quite badly that at first investigators assumed the victim was Caucasian, but then discovered he was actually African. The Gardaí first were looking into this murder as a ritualistic killing and the media were in a complete frenzy over this hypothesis. Gardaí issued an emergency appeal to Crime Stoppers Ireland. 
Crime Stoppers Ireland is a joint resource centre between the Ongardi Shiokana and the business community, which operates to encourage people to report crime by calling a free phone number. Callers can remain anonymous. At times, a reward may be offered at the discretion of the Gardaí for information in relation to specific crimes. Posters were situated all around the area where Farad's body was found, with the clothes that he wore on it. About a week later, an anonymous caller rang in with a tip. The caller said he was a friend of Farah's and had not heard from him for a while. He specifically remembered Farah's Ireland sports jersey he wore. He said the last time he met up with Farah, he wore the exact same jersey. Gardi confirmed that they did in fact recover this sports jersey, along with Farah's remains that day. The caller also informed Gardi that he was with the Mohals the last time he seen him. Further DNA confirmation from a son of Farah's also identified him. This was the break that the investigators needed. The Gardi were stuck for a few months in the investigation. So with this new information, Gardi's first call out was to Kathleen Mohor's residence at the time, where the murder took place, as this was located very close to where the body was found. When they looked in the flat, they found a piece of carpet was cut out, which was very suspicious, and they wanted to look further into this. The problem was forensic contamination with cleaning and also two other separate tenants were living in the flat after Kathleen lived there and Noor's death. Fortunately, the forensic team were able to find blood spatter underneath the base of one of the bunk beds in the bedroom. Luminol was also used for the first time in an Irish murder inquiry. This was to see if they could find more blood. It lit up on the walls and the floor in the flat. They were getting closer to the truth. The Gardaí questioned Kathleen six times. She said she didn't know about Farah's death until the day after, and the last time she seen him was around March time. A month later, she was interrogated again, this time admitting she was with nor drinking with her daughters. She also told Gardi that she told Farah's employers that he had gone away to Kilkenny. As I was saying to you all before, the sisters tried to conceal the head in Sean Walsh Memorial Park, under a park bench. As the investigation was underway, someone thought they had seen the head sticking out of the ground. After listening to the news, he contacted Dublin County Council about this. The rangers came back and said that it was not a head, but the reason for this was because Linda returned to the memorial park and moved the head and buried it somewhere else in the Dublin mountains, never to be recovered again. Linda would later say that she spent the day talking with the head when she moved it and said that she wishes it was her mother instead of him. She drank a bottle of vodka as well during this. As she was so racked up with guilt and on the verge of a mental breakdown, Linda handed herself in and confessed to the Gardaí to the murder and was interviewed. Charlotte, on the other hand, was not as cooperative and first denied being one of the murderers. And she said Linda was lying and blamed her mother, Kathleen, instead. She did eventually confess as well, as the evidence was too overwhelming. 
Kathleen then decided to flee to England and leave her daughters to deal with the ramifications of the murder. The daughters felt betrayed by this as they murdered Farah to defend their mother. The sisters were charged with first-degree murder and both pleaded not guilty. The trial began in October 2006. The trial judge, Mr Justice Paul Carney, a senior experienced judge in criminal law, referred to the killing as the most grotesque that had occurred in his professional lifetime. The jury deliberated for 18 hours to convict the sisters of the crime. Charlotte was sentenced to a mandatory life sentence and Linda got 15 years. The Irish media branded them the Scissor Sisters, which they hated. Kathleen was arrested in February 2008 and extradited back from the UK and a year later pleaded guilty to cleaning up the crime scene. She was sentenced to five years. John Mulhall, who assisted the clean-up, sadly committed suicide from the effects of the traumatic events of that day. He did not want to face the consequences it might have had against him. Gardy said that they did have a certain amount of evidence against him, as phone call records shown that John Mulhall was in contact with Kathleen and the sisters on the night of the murder. Later on, in 2017, Linda is reported to be making plans to settle down in a new home with the former prison officer lover, who she met in jail, allegedly. The source revealed that Mulhall has told fellow prisoners of her excitement at spending her first Christmas as a free woman with the former guard. They added, Linda hasn't given any hassle while in prison. They said she has kept busy working in the jail hair salon with her sister which other inmates have named the Head and Shoulder Salon as a sick joke in relation to the way the two chopped up their victim's body. Mulhall was not due for release until January 18th, 2017, but she is confident she will be freed under the temporary release scheme next month. They also were quoted saying she wants to turn her life around and is said to be madly in love with this man she met while being locked up. It's the real deal, according to her, and they are very much a couple. Quote, she has been telling inmates that she will be moving in with him and wants to just have a normal life. She is hoping she will be left alone to do that, but it's very unlikely she will be able to, considering she is such a well-known household name. They were also quoted that the crime she committed with her sister shocked the nation at the time and will go down in history as one of the bloodiest and most sinister. Linda is hoping to work in the beauty industry after her release as she is quote extremely good at doing makeup and hair and does the other inmates up before the court appearances. Linda was released from prison in 2018 serving 13 years. Charlotte is still serving her sentence, but in 2019 she was transferred from the Dublin prison into the Limerick facility after she was caught having sexual relations with the cell worker allegedly. Charlotte denies these allegations. From an article from DublinLive.ie, 
It was reported that Linda's daughter paid tribute to her mother on Facebook, saying that she took a dirty rapist off the streets. She said, It boils my blood no one will ever know the true story to what happened. If he was in prison and the three of them were in the ground, how much different it would have been. And in the tribute to her mom, she added, You've done your time, Linda. Well done. Go live your life. You deserve it. The man already murdered and raped a girl with disabilities, so a murderer was taken off the streets. She done her crime, done her time, and took a dirty rapist off the streets. Linda's daughter also said, The night it happened, he messed with the wrong woman. He wasn't getting away with raping another woman that night. If you have been personally affected by any of these situations, you can call Women's Aid from Ireland on 1800 341 900 or Pieta House on 1800 247 247. From the UK, you can call Calm on 0800 585858 or the NSPCC on 0800 1111. I'm your host, Francesca Hayes. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact me for any questions or requests, you can do it through email on incriminatedpod at yahoo.com or you can follow the podcast on Twitter. The handle is incriminatedpo1. For Instagram, search for incriminatedpod. Distribution is by Acast. Intro music is by Owen Leonard. You can search him on Facebook by searching Leonard Music and Media. All references and research links will be updated on the episode details below. I'll be back with a new episode in the next couple of weeks and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. 